There's only one individual record that matters in the sport of basketball. Only one feat that compares to Hank Aaron passing Babe Ruth. It's Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. 100 is the only number that matters in basketball. It's a magical number. If LeBron James wanted to impress me, he'd score 100 points in a game. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday, happy hump day. We're halfway through the week. We're well into this week of Fearless. We had a great show for you yesterday. We got an even better show for you today. We're gonna talk some LeBron James with Steve Kim. We're gonna talk some divine feminine energy with Spencer Smith, who put out the documentary I told you guys to watch last night, Third Adam Three. Uh, Pastor Anthony Walker will be here as well, and we'll be joined by Virgil Walker via Skype. But Spencer will be here in studio. Pastor Anthony will be here in studio. We're going to get into this whole divine feminine energy topic uh, in the latter part of the show, uh, but we're going to start uh, with the NBA. And, and what happened last night across the NBA with LeBron James surpassing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer. We'll do that with Steve Kim. But uh, before I do that, I want to have a conversation with you guys, men in particular. Uh, does it feel like it gets harder to get in shape? It certainly does for me. Our sponsor, Nugenics Total Tea, is offering a complimentary bottle when you text 231231 and enter the keyword fearless. Getting older is a big adjustment. Eventually, it gets hard to stay healthy. Next thing you know, it gets worse, and you might get uh, more of a dad bod or an early Whitlock 2000 bod, you know, that, that one that looks like an elephant, and it's suddenly harder to stay in shape. It's not your fault. As men age, our bodies naturally lose free testosterone. That's because when you were younger, you were at the peak of your man hormone production. Wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again? I took Nugenics Total Tea and I felt completely revived. Nugenics Total Tea is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. It will help you turn back the clock, re-energize your workouts, get you better results at the gym, and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. Nugenics Total Tea contains man-boosting key ingredients like testofen which has been validated in five clinical studies. What this Nugenics Total Tea does is boost the free testosterone that the aging process robs you of, so you'll feel stronger and leaner with more energy and drive. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text FEARLESS to 231-231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast, absolutely free. Text FEARLESS to 231-231. That's FEARLESS, 231-231. Texting enrolls you in a reoccurring automated text messages, consent not required to purchase, message and data rates may apply. What do you have to lose? Free, 231-231. Keyword FEARLESS, nothing to lose there. 
Bet you LeBron James uses a Nugenics. Twice able to play at age 38. <clears throat> so listen, I would love to argue that I'm objective when it comes to LeBron James. Anybody that watches this show and has read my columns knows I'm not. LeBron James represents virtually everything I personally dislike about modern athletes. He's incredibly shallow while pretending to be an intellectual heavyweight. He uses social media to feign concern for working class and poor black people. He's unaware that his financial success and cultural importance are primarily derived from an overvalued genetic gift rather than relentless work. He speaks untruths for power rather than speaking truth to power. He's disconnected from any semblance of a biblical worldview. LeBron James represents the antithesis of Muhammad Ali. LeBron sacrificed nothing for the greater good of mankind. He traveled the road, Nike, the NBA, the Democrat Party, and China paid for him. He's the Joe Biden of sports, a puppet the establishment installed to sedate men to the freedoms lost in pursuit of matriarchal rulership. The chosen one is just another useful idiot in America's transition from God's order to Satan's perfect balance between man and woman. So I apologize for having a cynical and dismissive view of LeBron's greatest accomplishment. I don't like LeBron James. I'm not objective. I marvel at his athleticism and his performance but I don't hold him in the, high, in the same high regard as athletes from earlier generations, athletes whose minds, social media, and multi-million dollar contracts hadn't warped beyond reasonable logic. Last night was no big deal to me. I attended a Nashville Predators hockey game. I skipped LeBron's historic night against a mediocre Oklahoma City Thunder squad and suspect defense LeBron James scored 38 points and surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. Jabbar set courtside. A bevy of celebrities filled crypto arena. Sports pundits hailed the feat as basketball's version of Hank Aaron surpassing Babe Ruth as the home run king in 1974. LeBron's sycophants took to Twitter to argue the feat proves that James is superior to Michael Jordan. James's NBA peers and elder statesmen claimed the feat, which Abdul-Jabbar held for 40 years, was unimaginable. The truth is, it's a feat that was far more inevitable than unimaginable. Kareem spent four years at UCLA. LeBron entered the NBA straight out of high school. The NBA significantly reduced the physicality of its league since the 1970s and 80s when Kareem ruled. Players and teams score far more points per game than 20 or even 10 years ago. Players launch three-pointers at their leisure. LeBron is kissing 40 in the mouth and he's averaging 30 points per game. That's a testament to rule changes and the cheapness of buckets more than LeBron's dominance. I'm just not that impressed with LeBron passing Kareem. The whole over-the-top celebration of it reminds me of the Chris Rock bit. I take care of my kids. What, you want a cookie? You're supposed to take care of your kids. 
LeBron was supposed to surpass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's similar to how I feel about Tom Brady and all of his passing records. I totally agree with Trent Dilfer, the mediocre NFL quarterback who spoke the truth about the modern NFL during an ESPN documentary saying, quote, modern day game does not impress me. It's super easy when you don't get hit as a quarterback, when you can't reroute receivers, and when you can't hit guys across the middle. I love Tom Brady, I love Aaron Rodgers, I love these guys. It's not impressive. That's what Trent Dilfer had to say. He took a lot of heat for that. But this is such an obvious truth. It's not even debatable. If Tom Brady played football in the 1970s, he would have retired at age 36 or 37 with four or five Super Bowl rings. It's true about all sports. Ba baseball doesn't allow you to slide into home base the way Pete Rose did. Last night at the Predators game, the first thing I noticed was the reduction in physical contact since the last hockey game I attended five or six years ago. Technological advances with golf clubs and balls has made golf easier. I'm not an old man wishing for the old days. I'm an old man acknowledging that the reduction in degree of difficulty has diminished everyone's accomplishments and harmed the games. But let me refocus on LeBron. There's only one individual record that matters in the sport of basketball. Only one feat that compares to Hank Aaron passing Babe Ruth. It's Wilt Chamberlain's 100 point game. 100 is the only number that matters in basketball. It's a magical number. If LeBron James wanted to impress me, he'd score 100 points in a single game. It's a lot easier to score 100 points today than when Wilt did it in 1962. But still, that would be impressive. That would be an accomplishment LeBron could use to argue he's the same, he's in the same class as Michael Jordan. Passing Kareem, so what? LeBron admits he's not even a scorer. A non-scorer is the NBA's all-time points leader. That speaks to how cheap the NBA has made a bucket. We should put the NBA in charge of eggs and gas. The NBA knows how to deflate and diminish things. That's uh, my fire. I want to uh, bring in our main man, Steve Kim, who I've already spoken to once today. Uh, Steve Kim and, and Coach JB, Jason Brown, had me up very early this morning uh, talking to uh, Jason Brown uh, out in Los Angeles on his own show. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back uh, to Fearless. And I want... Uh, you got something you want to say? Where you where you got? You realize you're two hours ahead of us, and they woke you up early. Okay. And by the way, I, I got the banner up. I want to I want to say a couple yeah. of things before we get started. You were actually at a hockey game. Boy, you must have stood out. Yes. And the other thing is testosterone. Hey, now, hold on, hold on. Let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Let me stop you. Yeah. I was amazed. There were a lot of black people there. I mean, I was amazed that oh, there were plenty of black what? people at this. I, I was shocked. I was like, okay. when I went to the L.A. Kings years right. ago when I lived out, I kind of expected it. But here right. in Nashville, yeah, I, you know, I, wow. you know, I, I wouldn't say it was I'd say it was five percent maybe of the uh, audience. 
All right, so it wasn't a complete glacier glider fest. I get it. The other thing no, is no, but 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 uh, I, let me add this other thing though. Yeah. It was an Instagram snow bunny parade as well. There oh. was a lot of very attractive women at the uh, hockey game last night. That was okay. my other takeaway. But anyway, I'm sorry. Let me let me stop you from cutting you off. Go your, ahead. Your pronunciation of testosterone getting better. The first one was perfect. The second <laughs> one was a little shaky, but. Keep practicing, kid. Testosterone. What do you mean? I've got a nail. I saw Good. Kenny smile when I pronounced it properly. Everybody, it's a joke that I can't do testosterone. Yeah. They don't think I'm paying attention. But yeah, when I said I, it look, properly, Kenny was like, "Oh, that's amazing. That what a what, what a feat. It was almost like I scored. I broke Kareem's record. Yeah. Right. And by the way, the top, the, the most important number for Wilt Chamberlain is not 100. It's the 20,000. You know. You know, the 20,000. Anyway, let's go. Uh, it's your show. LeBron may have that record, too. but Oh, hey. Whoa. Hey. Anyway. Well, anyway, Jason, go ahead. Your show. You be fearless. Oh, oh, you're handing the show back to me, yeah, so I can yeah. now ask you a question. Yeah. Are, 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 are you, and again, I already know where you stand on this, uh, but I think I know. But mm-hmm. were you impressed last night? Was it a big deal? Or are you someone like me? that's so tired of LeBron and so turned off by LeBron that it, ju- it just didn't do much for you. Jason, this is the God's honest truth. I was inundated with texts, DMs from people saying, oh my God, did you see that? The, the, the countdown of the points, like it was New Year's Eve with Dick Clark and the apple falling. Not only did I not watch a, the game, I don't even know what he scored on to break the record. Honestly, I, I am that- Fade away. Dis- I, okay, good. Good for him. I Hold on, let's the, play the clip for Steve. Yeah, Hold on, let, let, we'll play the clip. Let's yeah. play the bucket for Steve because yeah. I think there's something interesting here. I don't think I, – I think OKC was instructed to give up these buckets uh, mm-hmm. before they got to the fourth quarter so they could stop this game down and take 10, 15 minutes to worship okay. LeBron. There's no defense being played here. Let's play the clip. Coming to the end of the third quarter. LeBron James, a shot in history, LeBron stands alone! The NBA's all-time scoring record now belongs to LeBron James! from his mother, Gloria. His daughter Zuri coming in. Oh, the boys, Bryce and Bronny. So- okay, that's all. That, the guy's playing no defense. He, he doesn't even put his hand up and try to contest the shot. I, I, anyway, we're both raining on this parade. Yeah, I, I mean, want to show you this other clip. Uh, let me show you this other clip that I think uh, Anthony Davis 
feels the same way as you and me. I don't know. Have you seen this? Let's play this yeah. clip. Andy Davis takes a seat, doesn't get up, doesn't applaud anything. I think he's like me and you. He's over the whole LeBron James thing. I will say this for him, though. At least he saw it live. And this is how much different it is. And I know there's a lot of time. I saw the clip right now. I'll never watch it again. Don't care to, but congratulations to LeBron. Still an incredible achievement. But I still remember as a young lad living in Valencia, California, I believe it was February of 1984, what a big deal this record was locally to us Laker fans. And that was at the height of the Showtime craze. And Jason, this is a little known trivia question. The arena where Kareem broke the record, I'll never forget, he got the ball in the low block. I believe it was the right side. He was on Mark Eaton, and he threw in one of those majestic sky hooks from the baseline. That was not at Utah. It was not at the Salt Palace. It was not at the Forum. It was at the Thomas and Mack Center. The arena built for UNLV, the House of Tarkanian, had just been built. And in that era, when Frank Layden was the coach, the Jazz actually played a game or five a year in Las Vegas. So actually, the Thomas and Mack Center is where that record was broken. So I remember a lot of that thing. You know, the LeBron record, again, it's, a, it's an unbelievable achievement, no matter what we think. That longevity, the sustained productivity and greatness uh it should be applauded but the thing that really ruined it for me is i'm I'm on twitter yesterday and i almost got sucked in that suddenly that record alone makes lebron better than michael jeffrey jordan which is absolutely absurd in so many ways i get it if you put lebron in your mount rushmore i think there's an incredible argument for it Where I get into trouble as a Laker fan in recess is that I actually do believe LeBron is a better player than Kobe Bryant. But in no way, shape, or form is he better than Jordan. I don't even think it's a debate, and that's why I don't even get into it. I, I agree with you about LeBron being a better player than Kobe Bryant. And I don't say that as any kind of disparagement of Kobe Bryant. It's just facts are facts. Yeah. Uh, LeBron's got four MVPs. Uh, you know, I think Kobe got five titles, but you know, Shaq was there for game. three of them. Yeah, better overall floor game. I mean, the fact that LeBron really is, is a great melding. And again, I, I do admire the, his skills for being that size. I mean, he's probably like six, nine and a half. And to be able to do a version, a, a more athletic version of Magic Johnson in certain ways, and be bigger than a lot of guys on the wing and to do what he's doing and to play over the rim, it's, it's, it is impressive. But when I look at Jordan, I, I just see someone who is incredibly special. And if we want to delve into this, I, I will say this about Michael Jeffrey Jordan. There was about a six-year stretch that I thought he was as good at his sport as anyone that ever lived when it comes to American sports we care about. Probably him and Wayne Gretzky. We were lucky to both see them concurrently in their prime. And the thing that stands out about that guy right there is that at age 21, right after the Olympics or during that stretch in 1984, this is interesting, but his biggest fan is not me or you. 
It's actually the general Robert Montgomery Knight. Bobby Knight hated the NBA. He's not a fan of it. He'll tell you. He actually said before his rookie year, he said, that's the greatest player who ever lived. The greatest basketball player who ever And they're like, what? And there's an interview where he said, yeah, I've never seen a guy that can play the game athletically like him, but be so fundamentally sound and be good in every single facet of the game. And he was raised properly, and his competitive spirit is off the chart. And later, there's other interviews where Bobby Knight says, we've had three all-time great athletes, Jack Nicholas, Babe Ruth, and Michael Jordan. And he says, we are lucky to see him. And Bobby Knight did not give compliments to a lot of NBA things related. He thought the world of Michael Jordan. And when he coached him, he actually says, I had to make up reasons to cuss him out. It was an inside joke to us because he was that good. And when you watch Jordan highlights, it's a different game. And Jason, you talked about it. When he went across the middle into the paint against Detroit and later the New York Knicks, you took your health into your own hands. And for the first half of his career, there was hand checking. And there were no such thing as flagrant ones or twos. I've told you this before. When Kurt Rambis got his head knocked off by Kevin McHale in game four of the 84 finals, he got clothesline, right? You know what that was called? Two free throws, everyone get off the court, let's get going. It's a different ball game, Jason. Totally different ball game. What do you think of my contention that the only real record in the NBA that really matters to me is the 100-point mm. game? That's <sighs> the special number in basketball. That, that's, it's why Kobe's 81 is such a big deal. Yeah, it is because he's the only one that's ever come close to it. That hundred point game, that's the magical. That's the Roger yeah. Maris. That's but, 714, Babe Ruth. That's the number that matters in the NBA. I, LeBron's probably missed his window to ever attempt yeah. that. But but the way it's it's so easy to score in the NBA, he sh if he wanted to impress me, go get a hundred and then yeah. I'd make a big deal about it. Jason, but then here's the thing. With the pace of play and the lack of defense today, people would say, well, that's a cheapened record. But it would still be an unbelievable accomplishment. Jason, do you remember where you were when Kobe scored that 81? No. <laughs> really? I'll tell you a story. Yeah. So I had just gotten home from one of the Manny Pacquiao-Eric Morales fights on a Sunday. It was uh, Sunday night. And it was in late January. So it was the day of the NFC-AFC conference title games. And I'll never forget, I'm kind of tired. Now, people, this is where Kobe's actually underrated. The year and a half that he had post-Shaq, where he had to prop up Smush Parker, Chris Mim, and LaRon Prophet, Kobe was extraordinary. I mean, the guy went like nine games in a row, scoring 40, five games of 50. He'd score 60 points in like three quarters, outscoring the Mavericks who went to the finals in three quarters. I mean, he had some amazing things. I don't want to be disrespectful of that man when he really was the best player on earth for about three years, by far, post-Shaq. I'll never forget, so I'm resting. It was a long weekend in Vegas, and my friend calls me, and it's in the middle of the third quarter. I'm not watching the game, and my friend goes, hey, Steve, are you watching the Laker game? And I go, no, why? Kobe has about 61. And I go, that's a good game. He's been scoring. He goes, no, no, Steve. We're in the third quarter. And literally, I switched over to Fox Sports because that's who was showing the game. And I was in awe because to score 81 points in modern-day basketball, what made that really impressive, Jason, is if you remember that game against the Toronto Raptors, the Raptors were up by about 17 or 18 points in the middle of the third. 
So every point counted. Certain games were about empty calories and you pour it on. No, no, no. These points actually mattered. And it, when it got up to 75, 76, I, I was in awe. I make an argument that Kobe's 81 might be actually more impressive than Wilt Chamberlain's 100 in Hershey, Pennsylvania. There's a chance that that is true. I, I guarantee you, in terms of rewatchability, Kobe's Kobe. <laughs> is better than, 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 I mean, than Will Chamberlain honest, dunking the basketball. I mean, come on. Can we be honest? Chamberlain was probably finger-rolling over 6'4 white guys. No disrespect to Bob Pettit, nah. but the athleticism of no. the league is not the same. Come on. We have to be honest no, about don't, it. No, don't do that. I, I'm Let me tell you what the great equalizer is. <laughs> in terms of Wilt, there were less teams, and so there were, all the players were a lot better because only a handful actually got into the NBA. Uh, I'll just tell you, it was, was, the competition was closer together because there were just less teams and less players. I agree. He was playing against the elite of the elite at that time. Jason, this kind of reminds me, remember when Michael Jordan hosted Saturday Night Live? back when it was actually funny about 30 years ago, they had this skit called the first black globetrotter. And so Jordan walks into the court and they're like, Hey, who are you? You're the new globetrotter. And everyone's like throwing bounce passes and Jordan's just dunking over everybody. <laughs> Let's be honest. Chamberlain is an all time great. Cause like Jim Brown, he was probably two generations ahead of his time for his athleticism. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? I don't allow anybody to disrespect Jim Brown. Or diminish Jim Brown no, in any way, and no, I think you just skated close to. No, no, that's a compliment. I, that means he could have played Jim Brown. Yeah, you're right, but I'm just saying they were so far ahead of the curve that they were on Mount Olympus compared to mere mortals, and they would actually be very good today. Can you can you honestly say most NBA players of the of that era of the late 50s and 60s could athletically play today? Can you honestly say that, Jason? Yes. No. Oh, my God. Really? Guys just dribbling yes. one time? Uh, let me tell you why. Oh, my let God. Me, let me tell you why. Dang. Let me tell you why, Steve. Th- there's this whole myth that, like, oh, man, Usain Bolt, he's so much faster than Jesse Owens. And, oh, my God. And, and what, what has improved? The humans haven't improved. The equipment and the technology have improved. There's actual studies that will show you. You put Usain Bolt in the same cleats and on the same turf that Jesse Owens ran in, and it's a photo finish. And so technology and the equipment have improved. The shoes the athletes are wearing, the trip. But you take those athletes and drop them into modern times, and yes, they're hellacious athletes. Jesse Owens is still a, a near Olympian or Olympic level sprinter and is right there with Carl Lewis and Usain Bolt and everybody else. That's just facts. Again, no we disrespect. We love to disrespect the past. No, no, no. And look, I don't want to come off as J.J. Reddick because there came a point when the Jerry West came in and the Elgin Baylors, the game did evolve. Okay, and also Bob Cousy, very, very imaginative ball handler and passer. But in your heart of hearts, you don't think that a prime Hakeem Olajuwon, who is, I think, actually my all-time favorite center, you don't think if you dropped him in the Chamberlain era, he wouldn't average 50 with his skills. Be honest, If you dropped him in the Chamberlain, I'll tell you what Hakeem might look like in the Chamberlain era. 
he pro- and again, it's an all-time great player, but he would just be Bill Russell. Oh, that, that's my. who he would be. Bill he, Russell. Look, if you put him in that era, Steve, oh Steve, if you put him in that era, he's not practicing the dream shake. That's not the way the game was played then. He would be playing a totally different style in that era. You're thinking he's going to be doing the dream shake in the 50s and 60s. They didn't do that then. You and if have you to. put Dirk Nowitzki back there, he's not hitting fadeaway jumpers from 22 feet. He's doing. He's playing a totally again, different game. You are right, but there's an evolution of talent, skills, and athleticism. And I would argue that the best basketball has been played from about the early 70s on. Would you agree with that? Steve, you're, you're a prisoner of the moment like oh, no, everybody. Look, man, you know they built pyramids that still stand today and are more technologically sound than stuff we're doing today. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new but the doers. I'm just telling mm-hmm. you that this whole little, this, the mentality you're talking about is, is it, as it relates to athletics, is the same mentality leftists have about human oh, beings. Oh, and we're the, the greatest that's oh, ever existed. We're so <laughs> much smarter than they were. We're so uh, morally superior to them. I don't buy any of it. Well, okay, by the way, I know we couldn't talk about it, but can I give my fellow Crouching Tiger, that guy that owns the Nets, a slow 80s clap? He did not trade Kyrie to the Lakers. And in fact, I'm reading reports. He made sure he was going to trade him anywhere but to the LeBron. Way to go. Uh, We're getting getting vintage Steve Kim, vintage Korean Cosell. He's going to blow up the show and just talk about whatever he wants about. The floor is yours, Steve. Go ahead. You know what? You're you're the one who blew the Monday. That's not our call. Why why should our our (laughs) audience suffer because you had a manic Monday? Huh? Shout out to the Bengals. I'm just saying, because you know you wanted to bring that up, but I am so glad that the NBA did not leverage this and force LeBron down our throats. Again, like I said, as a, as a Laker fan in hiatus, just this is where Anthony Davis is like the Laker fans. He's like, he's over this. He's like, you know what, let's just let this end. This is crap. I want to get out of here. We feel the exact same way. But again, Joseph Sy, thank you. Thank you for being as vindictive as you were. We appreciate it. I wanted to say. Let me know. Let me know when I'm I'm free to host again to and, and talk about back what I want to talk about. Uh, back to me. Back to you. Is, oh, is, am I good? Okay. So I I, I want to ask you one more LeBron related question, if okay. I can, uh, Korean yeah, Cosell. Are, are you yeah. open to me asking you one more it's question, please? I'm please and thank guest. you. Okay. I'm just a guest uh, in your house. Uh, I argue. No, I'm a guest in your house. We 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 know the deal, and I'm sure. Plenty of the audience is right there. Yeah, let Kim. Kim's talking about what I want to hear about. Whitlock's just beating up on LeBron. Let's hear Kyrie talk. I want a, one more question on LeBron. I argue that he's the antithesis of Muhammad Ali, and I yeah. walk you through all the yeah. things that I think just bother me about LeBron and a modern-day athlete, how they pretend they're social justice warriors. They're really just useful idiots. I love the fact the point I made is like this dude is really just Joe Biden someone too stupid to realize he's being used those are you heard me run off my laundry list of complaints about LeBron and what I think about modern athletes 
I, is that any part of your disdain for LeBron yes. James? Yes. Yeah, this is one of the issues that I think many people have with the NBA and the flagging interest. When your flagship player is so divisive from a cultural standpoint and political standpoint, that's not good for the league. And here's the issue that I have. You're right. He's nothing like Muhammad Ali. No one is. It's almost unfair to compare the two. A lot of activism is today is about hashtags and empty gestures and wearing a T-shirt, and that's it. Okay, look, he's done some things like contributing to the school. He didn't build the school. He contributed financially. Let's make that clear. But the fact that he doesn't even have enough guts to stand on his word, didn't last week at the beginning of Black History Month, he put up something of Morgan Freeman, that famous clip where he said, Black History Month, why are you reducing my history to a month? That famous clip. Then he took it down because he felt the heat. Right there. If you don't have enough guts to just leave that up there and say, look, this is what I think. I'm going to stand by this. Then you're not an activist and you are not a leader. And the problem that I have with LeBron, I think you echo this. He plays to social media. He gauges the temperature when something happens. Let's say something related to law enforcement and the way they handle a certain situation, he will peek out into the window and say, okay, what's safe and what is popular to say, knowing it may not be factual, but he'll put that out there. Like there was that stabbing of that young girl two years ago, I believe, right? And a cop had to save someone's life from stabbing someone else. He basically outed this guy for doing his job. And right there, that situation along with others has really, I think, made him one of the most polarizing all-time great athletes. Well, my problem and complaint is that people, Muhammad Ali made real sacrifices for what he believed in. And and, and he didn't want to get drafted, cost him three years of his career. Uh, You know, back in that time, there was a real price for him to pay commercially in terms of endorsements and things like that from being associated with the Nation of Islam. He actually hurt his pockets taking the stances that, that he took. I, I now believe we've seen Kyrie Irving do something similar, not on the same level as Muhammad Ali, but something very similar where he sacrificed something for what he believed in, stood on principle, and, and that's I would love for someone to show me what LeBron James has sacrificed based on the stances that he's taken. Every stance he's taken pretty much is popular and right in line with social media. It's right in line with corporate media wants you to do, wants you to stand for it. They make commercials promoting the stances that LeBron James took. He's made no sacrifice, and that's why I call him the antithesis of Muhammad Ali. Anybody that that wants to pretend or act like they're the modern-day Muhammad Ali, just show me the receipts. Show me the sacrifices that they've made, and LeBron has made none. There was a time, especially during that era with Muhammad Ali, where being anti-establishment truly was provocative, risky, and maybe even dangerous. In current times, Jason, being anti-establishment is establishment. It's accepted. You got to hate America. There's white supremacy. It's an unfair system. Um, You know, uh, what is it? Capitalism is evil, even though he's the biggest capitalist working for Nike. 
there's a hypocrisy and an illogical nature to LeBron about a lot of the things that he says when he said that there were racial slurs and swastikas painted on his front wall, right? And, and he gave no proof of it. I mean, and, and for someone who's always on social media looking to go viral, you, you, you're telling me you couldn't take a picture to show proof? Something about that has always rubbed me the wrong way. I've always been very suspicious of it. And I'm just telling you, the fact that he can make so many Laker fans like myself apathetic towards the Lakers, I think says a lot about him. All right, now I'll move on to uh, the topic uh, you wanted to talk about, Kyrie Irving. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to play you a clip. The, the media it seems to still be trolling or after Kyrie Irving about the Hebrews to Negroes documentary. Listen to this exchange or Kyrie's response to a question about he deleted his apology, a tweet, I think, over Instagram, and the media is trying to get after him about it. Earlier this year, you had posted an apology to Jewish families and people that were hurt by mm-hmm. that you posted. That post seems to be gone now. Did you delete it? And can you explain? Yeah, I delete a lot of things on my Instagram. Um, you know, I've I've had things that have happened before in my life, probably not as drastic of that moment, um, which led to a lot of confusion and uncertainty, I felt like, um, and what I meant and what I stand for. And I had to sit up in these mics and explain to the world who I am when I know who I am. So, um, you know, I delete things all the time and it's no disrespect to anyone within the community. Um, just living my life. Do you stand by the, by the apology? Do you stand by the words of the apology? I stand by who I am and why I apologized. And I did it because I care about my family and I have Jewish members of my family that care for me deeply. Um, did the media know that beforehand when they called me that word anti-Semitic? No. Did they know anything about my family? No. Everything was assumed. Everything was put out before I had anything to say. Um, and I reacted instead of responding uh, emotionally maturely. Uh, I didn't need to be defensive or go at anybody. Um, so I stand by my apology and I stand by my people everywhere. All walks of life, all races, all religions, same thing. Were those Jewish people in the family, did they talk to you about that film and were they hurt by posting it? Uh, I've had a lot of conversations about world history. The, what con- was contained in there was contained in there. I didn't agree with everything. I've been up here saying that. Um, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Uh, my family is my family. If the media cared about my family and actually, you know, I'm not saying all the media, I don't want to get at anybody, but if specific media members actually care to do research instead of being the first to report things, then they would know where I come from. So um, the diversity of my family is beautiful and I'm just gonna continue to focus in on them. And when I'm in the court, um, try not to be distracted by y'all. Hmm. <laughs> he deleted the apology because he doesn't stand by the apology. He, 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 he satisfied people for that moment and he's moved on. And I say hats off to him. Good. This is why people should not trust mainstream media. And this is why I'm just telling you the greatest answer for situations like that is yeah. And honestly, this is where I, I you know what? I've come around on Marshawn Lynch. Do what he does. Just say, I'm just here because I have to be boss and just be completely uncooperative. Don't feed them anything. In fact, starve them. Starve them like the kids in Africa that you got to get 15 cents through through Sally Struthers. I mean, I, I this is where, again, I do believe Kyrie is a headache. He's a perennial malcontent, but I also praise him for certain things. In situations like that, 
I, I feel bad for him. Are you here to talk about basketball or are you here to basically go through his whole life again? I mean, really, you're asking as a media member that covers the NBA about deleted posts. I'm just telling you, Kyrie should have just said, yeah, and what? What are you getting at? And I'd say, then write that story. Because you're, you're trying to appease the mob, and there's no appeasing them. So, again, Kyrie, do Marshawn Lynch and just say, I'm just sure because I have to be boss. And that's it. Just do that. You don't have to cooperate. You don't even have to play this game. And this is where the NBA media lay back, cover the games, cover the games. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and not unless, is there anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? It is, no, no, it is it. your uh, show. Go ahead. I'll talk about what we talk about on the Steve Kim Fearless show tomorrow, but uh, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Hold the show. Hold the show. <laughs> Thank you. Great job. Uh, we're going to get to some Tennessee harmony next. Make sure uh, you're snapping up those roll call tickets uh, here in Nashville on April 15th. I believe in March, we are going to elevate the price of the tickets. So you want to buy your tickets now. While they're a bit more reasonable and affordable, there's some special offers at fearlessarmyrollcall.com, ways you can engage and interact with us on Friday night. We're going to have a cookout and a special live show opportunity for you to get involved with that. We're going to have a Saturday morning breakfast here at the studio, take pictures, see our studio, opportunities for you to get involved with that. You need to go to our website, fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Want to see you here in April. We're going to inspire, raise up men to live up to their biblical responsibilities. Get back line in, in line with God. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. You watch this show, you know how imperfect I am. You don't need to wait to be perfect before you let everybody know you're walking with Jesus Christ. Start walking with Jesus Christ and watch how he tries and pushes you towards perfection. It's a journey. We all need to get on that journey. I want to see you here uh, in April. Myself, Pastor Anthony, Pastor Bobby, uh, Delano Squires, TJ Moe, we're all going to be speaking. We got musical guests. We got good food. We're going to have a good time right here in Nashville and fellowship and inspire each other. Uh, stay tuned. Pastor Anthony Walker in studio, uh, missionary and Baptist preacher Spencer Smith, who put out a very uh, interesting documentary, Third Adam Three, Divine Feminine Energy, The Rise of Divine Feminine Energy. He's going to be here in studio with us. And of course, we'll have the Bowtie Bandits, uh, Virgil Walker, uh, via Skype, Tennessee Harmony. I just want to be, I just want to be, I just want to be, I just Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy. mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. 
What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org chosen. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock. Fearless with Jason Whitlock. It's time for some Tennessee Harmony. You guys know what that means. That means Pastor Anthony is in studio with me. Uh, we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Spencer Smith from Kentucky. He's a minister and evangelist that travels the globe, travels the country and the globe. Uh, he's done a documentary, Third Adam Three, that I, we talked about yesterday. And I believe we have uh, Virgil Walker over Skype and we're going to have a discussion about div divine feminine energy. Uh, I want to kind of set the table. Oh, I'm, I'm a little bit off here. 
We're going to set the table, as we always do with Tennessee Harmony. Pastor Anthony's going to uh, bless this conversation with a prayer and ask for all of our thoughts and words to edify and glorify Jesus Christ. Pastor Anthony, help, uh, help me out here. <laughs> Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity uh, to be able to share your word on this platform. And we're praying uh, that the things that, that are discussed are pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray that they are educational, uh, informative. We're also praying for the listeners. Uh, we're so thankful for those who tune in uh, every day to Fearless, but we're thankful uh, for those who are listening to this segment. And we pray that above all things, you're glorifying. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So you guys have listened to me talk about uh, the roll call event we're doing here in Nashville. You've listened to me talk about the purpose of this show from the outset. It's, it's always been about and will always be about trying to inspire men to live up to their responsibilities, their biblical responsibilities, their God-given responsibilities. And you've listened to me talk about my failure. And, and I use myself as an example of like, woo, Jason was raised in the church. His grandmother was as close to Jesus as anybody he knew and, and blessed him. But I failed and was disobedient to all the, the seeds that were planted in me as a kid. I didn't follow those seeds. I got caught up in the world and got caught up in individual success and caught up in worldly success. And, and you've seen me transition out of corporate media into this where I could talk about my walk and journey and try to invite you to take the same walk that I'm on. It's an imperfect walk. And that's why the roll call event is about uh, bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. And, and so a lot of what we talk about on this show has to do with men living up to their responsibilities as men accepting the fact that our role in this earthly realm is different from women and that we have a different role to play in this society and we have to live up to it because if we don't, and that's why people don't fully understand or fully hasn't, haven't grasped my message and sometimes they get caught up, well, Whitlock's critical of single black mothers or single women or whatever. All of it is related to the failure of men. Women are out of order because men are out of order. And so some of this stuff, as I said to you guys yesterday, I, I used to watch this podcast on YouTube or uh, this YouTube show uh, from a guy, Chronicles of Judah. I have no idea who he is. I just knew he was interesting and said interesting things. And he used to talk about uh, divine feminine energy. And, and, but he never fully explain it, or I couldn't find him fully explaining it and unpacking it. And then one of the viewers who hit me up on our email, and that's why I love you guys, because many of you are taking this journey with me, and many of you are, hey, Jason, here's some information that will help you along in your journey. And so someone sent me Spencer Smith's third Adam three documentary and said, Jason, I think this is kind of what you've been talking about. You should watch this documentary. And Spencer, I watched the documentary and I was like, hey, I've heard of this, 
but I've never had anyone sit, unpack it for me in two and a half hours, make it real easy for me to understand and some of the history. And so I, I thank you for that. And I reached out to Spencer and wanted to interview him via Skype. And then he says, well, I just live outside of Louisville. And I was like, oh, well, man, that's only a two-hour drive. Yeah. Come on down. We, we got the perfect format to unpack uh, your documentary and, and some of your thoughts. And so, Spencer, I want to start by just thanking you, man, thank you. Uh, for coming down and sitting with us and, mm -hmm. and, and talking with us and sharing with us. And, and just for initial part, and we're going to play a clip here in a second, but what is your vision or what, was, what inspired you to do this whole third, Adam? I, I take it it's a series. Yes, sir. It's a series. Basically what it was, I was working in Kenya and Uganda with national pastors. And I sat down and talked to them. I said, what are some of the struggles that you guys have? And of course, witchcraft is a huge deal out there in the bush of Africa. It's, it's a terrible, it's like a plague upon society out there. And what they told me was is that there are men out there who are practicing witchcraft, but they're doing it in a building and they're calling that building a church. And instead of saying things like, you know, we're going to have an incantation, they would say this, we're going to have a prayer. Or instead of saying like, you know, I'm a shaman, they would say, I'm a, I'm a preacher. And they were saying that basically people were practicing the witchcraft in Jesus' name under the disguise of a church. And I thought, well, that's, you know, of course that's terrible. You know, it's, a, it's not good. And I, I started to see it. I started to understand what they were saying. And then I came back to the Western world and I saw all these big mega churches doing the exact same thing except they just had millions of dollars of production value backing what they were doing. And I came to the conclusion that there are churches in America that are practicing the occult in Jesus' name. And most people don't, they, they, just, they just, when they hear the word church or preacher, their, their guard goes down and they accept anything that's being said and any practices that are being done. And some people have literally walked into esoteric teachings and practices thinking that they're going to church. And it alarmed me so greatly, I had to put it into a documentary form. And right now we've got a Third Adam 1, 2, and 3. The third one is what you've seen. And I'm working on the fourth one right now. It's called Third Adam 4, The Road to Shambhala. And that's the driving force behind this. I want to dif discern between good and evil. And there are people out there that are teaching evil in Jesus' name. And it's so, it, it's, it's deceptive is what it is. And if you're not a discerning Christian and you don't know the Word of God, you don't know what the Bible actually teaches, you'll be like a baby bird just swallowing whatever they give you. And some people are literally feeding your soul poison and it's a terrible thing. And I want to just, I'm, I'm, I'm burdened, I'm moved. I want to sound the alarm. I want to call this stuff out. And God has given me favor and given me a little bit of a platform to do so. And that's basically the driving force behind all this. Walk me through a little bit of your history. Trained mm -hmm. at a, uh, in theology, mm -hmm. you go to a seminary school. Where'd you grow up? How old are you? Mm -hmm. are, are you doing? Uh, these documentaries out of your own pocket, out of your own, is it just you? Mm -hmm. uh, are there more people involved? Could you give us a brief? Yeah, sure. Well, my testimony is I, I was a public school kid in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, was just lost, never went to church, nothing like that. Somebody gave me the gospel when I was 18. I trusted Christ as my Savior. God changed my life completely, and that was November of 2001. 
I, that, I stayed in church for about a year there in Swanee, Georgia, Peachtree Road Baptist Church. And that, that Easter, the next Easter, God called me to preach. I knew God wanted me to be in ministry, but I didn't know anything. And uh, so I, I moved up to Crown College in Powell, Tennessee. I went to Bible college there for about five years, met my wife, Rebecca. We got married and uh, we moved to St. Louis. And then, of course, we live in Kentucky now, but that's where we live. But we, we had a sh short time in St. Louis. But my burden has been to, uh, to travel, raise money, help pl plan churches overseas with national pastors. Right now I'm the president of Lighthouse Baptist Missions at our church there in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. And, uh, and what we do is we help plant churches in Kenya, Uganda, and we're now working in the Dominican Republic as well with a bunch of Haitian ministries over there. And uh, we're, we're building a church right now. I've been getting text messages all day from those guys down there and it's been a blessing. But that's my burden and that's really my calling. And uh, along the way I've learned a bunch of things and we started our YouTube channel of course a couple years ago, put out the Third Adam documentaries and just kind of give commentary on contemporary theological issues and the such. And uh, thankfully, the, the Lord is blessed. I've, I have a guy who does the mail-outs for me, but basically I'd make all the documentaries myself. I do all the graphics, the video editing, and the filming, and the research, and everything like that. And so I, I'm... I'm, I'm in a sense a one-man show as far as that goes, but, uh, but we've got a team of, of folks at our church that pray for us and, and back us and love what we're doing, and it's really been a blessing. I've, I've enjoyed it. All right, so let me give the audience that, and I asked the audience to watch it. It's over YouTube, mm -hmm. Third Adam 3, and so it's, it's accessible for everybody. But let's play a clip that kind of sets the table for uh, Third Adam 3, the rise of uh, feminine energy. It's time to rise. In the past, she was called many things, a troublemaker, a heretic, a witch, and even a Jezebel. But this, this is a new day. Tomorrow, she will be a leader. And she calls the shots now. She's going to give a new set of rules for a new world. Justice will now be social, not spiritual. And she will rise to be equal. She will tear down the walls that divide us. She will tear down the walls that keep us from our desires. No more control. She has many names. Kundalini, Shekinah, Gaia, the Mother of Light, Shambhala, Sophia, the Lady, and some even call her Holy Spirit. Her time is... All right, so... I know some people watching that and people that may have watched the entire documentary, first thing they're going to, this guy doesn't like women. <laughs> and because I know it's an accusation against me, yeah. that, that made mm -hmm. against me, that, you know, Whitlock's got a problem with women. Mm -hmm. and, and my real problem is actually with men. We, we, yes. We're so weak, we're so controlled by our lust, mm -hmm. we think with our smaller head rather than our big head, I'm talking about myself. Mm -hmm. And, and I know what led me astray, and your, yeah. your documentary's hitting it dead on the head, but I'll, I'll ask you to get us started here, Spencer, mm -hmm. and then I'm gonna bring Anthony and, and Virgil into the conversation. What do you say to the people 
let's say, you know, yeah, you, you just got a problem with woman. He's a caveman. Mm. He just wants to beat women over the head and put them back in a kitchen. <laughs> you know, I. Um the illustration that I've used, and I use it actually at the very end of the documentary, I had a glass of water, and I said, this, this water is great in its place, but if I were to drink this water, it's a blessing. But if I were to just pour this water down my nose and go into my lungs, it would be a terrible disaster. And anything, if it be women, if it be men, even if it be children, doesn't matter, anything that is out of the place that it belongs, out of the place that it is designed to be, can become very destructive very quickly. And so that's, that's not just true of women. I mean, that's not a truth I target at just women. It's true of everything. If you, if you have a car driving on the wrong side of the road into oncoming traffic, that becomes very destructive very quickly because it's out of the place that, that it's designed to be in. And so women are designed to be under the leadership of a godly man who is following Christ and if women are not in that position, whether it be their father or their husband or their local church, if they are not in that position, they can become very destructive very quickly. And, you know, you look at people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg or some of these other, like Hillary Clinton and whatever, these people, the things that they're doing to society are dangerous and destructive. Um, and, and so it's not just, that's not just true of women, that's true of anything. And that's the point, and we, we talk about the divine feminine because that seems to be where all the chaos is trying to be upended right now. You see, the divine feminine is basically a spiritual concept where people are trying to go from a patriarchal society to a matriarchal society. It, they call it the shift, and the witches and esoterists are talking about this all the time. It's, it is the spiritual force that is driving feminism into existence. And uh, that's, that's what's going on. So this isn't an attack on women. This, ultimately, this is a call to order according to God's order. And that's all this is. And that has to do with kids, men, and women, too. So, you know, I, I get that reaction a lot. You just don't like women. You have a problem with women preachers because you think a woman can't preach or you think a, a woman can't lead a, be a president or something like that. No, it's not that at all. It's that God has said this is how the order should be. And when the Lord of the universe who designed the world says this is how it should be and we deviate from God's plan and God's design, there are consequences for that. And I think all of the things, that, almost all the ills of society today, whether it be social justice, the woke, the cancel culture, all, all of this stuff is a, is a symptom of people not being in God's order. And that's the point of all this. And really this is not, it manifests itself as a political concept oftentimes, but ultimately it's not a political concept. This is a spiritual concept that has political implications, political consequences. But at the end of the day, this is, an, this is a spiritual warfare. I mean, even the book of Ephesians says we, we, we face spiritual wickedness in high places. So it's not about the Democrat Party. It's about Satan and it's about the, the spirit that's working now in the children of disobedience, that's what this is all about. And so really this being a spiritual problem, there is no political solution for this. This is a spiritual solution. And I love what you're saying about calling men to be right with God, be the spiritual leaders of their home. That's the answer. And Don, this is something that the Republican Party can't save us from. This is something that only men being right with God can fix. And if we don't face it that way, then we don't have a chance. So Spencer is evangelist that goes around the globe planting churches. Mm -hmm. I th would have to think, Anthony, it's more delicate. I don't want to say difficult, but 
leading a church, you're in a maybe you have to unpack what Spencer's saying more delicately or, or what do you think of his delivery and the documentary and as a leader of a church, is it a bit more of a delicate balance for you? I wouldn't say it's, it's more delicate. You just have to spend more time unpacking it. And I think that's what you're pointing out. Mm -hmm. I think his best lick, his best hit in that documentary was the very fr front portion where he goes over that chart. I teach from a chart like that. So when I saw it, I'm like, man, I, I, I work from the same kind of dynamic and it's biblically lined up about order. And something that we can get kind of in the weeds with, if you spend too much time on the feminism side, mm. the pushback will be, well, we just got to go to masculinity. And again, both of those devoid of an understanding of God's order will be destructive. And that's what he's pointing out. A man, as he points out in the documentary, if he's not submitting unto Christ, that's a disruption from order. Sure. Yeah, I was woman, very destructive. Yeah. I was very destructive. And it, and, but you're still a man. And, yes. and I'm saying if, if we're looking at it just from a feminist side, oh, you know, the rise of the feminine energy, which there is, if we just go that way and we don't say, but hold on, that man, he's got to be, if we took an ungodly man and just put him over a woman, mm -hmm. we're still going to have that same destructive path. Yeah. So. Yeah. What I do in a congregational setting, I'll spend more time, you know, looking at this thing, nuance. And I think Spencer, you know, he said he's doing a series. So he's mm -hmm. he's dealing with it, you know, chunk by chunk. This was just that one chunk. Um, but yeah, I thought that was one of his, his better portions of the mm -hmm. documentary. So, Virgil, you're in somewhat of a similar lane as Spencer. In, in terms of you're more of an evangelist, you're not tied to a specific church, you're not leading a congregation. What did you think of the way Spencer unpacked this? And, and is it similar to the approach you would take? Yeah. It, it, first of all, I, I thought that the, the content that he shared um, was, was, for the most part, was sound. I mean, th there wasn't much that he put together in the documentary that, that, that I disagreed with. Uh, I probably would have formulated it differently. A lot of what we do, uh, particularly here at, at G3, uh, our goal is to is to educate, encourage, and equip local churches. Uh, and so, you know, we would do that in a very thorough way. Absolutely, we would point out the problems, the issues with with feminism, whether it's first wave, second wave, third wave, fourth wave feminism. Uh, there's even a fifth wave of feminism. We break all of that down and explain those kinds of issues. We explain issues related to egalitarianism and complementarianism, all big words to say, you know, th this is this is the way that God has designed us. The order in which he's we're to operate is, a, is a, in a in a complementary way, uh, both ma male to female with with male leadership, male headship, particularly in the home and in, and, and in church. Uh, but that that there's a desire for an egalitarian approach to to life. He mentioned that in the documentary. We we would probably spend more time in, in in that lane, kind of explaining those concepts and those ideas, how women desire to to be equal a to the to the man, uh, not only from a standpoint of of value, dignity, and worth, but from a standpoint of of actual roles and responsibilities. A, a woman b b believing I can do anything a man can do. 
Well, you know, perhaps, uh, but but definitely not better than a, a man can do when it relates to what he's designed for. Uh, a woman is never going to be as strong as a man. A woman is never going to, you know, is, is ne- there, there, there are areas that a man will operate in uh, that, that a woman can't. And there are areas where women will operate that a man can't. I, I'll never produce a baby. Uh, I'll never be, be, be the, the, the maker and tender of a home. And so we, we, would, we would explain those concepts, but also in addition to explaining the challenges, both in the area of whether it's egalitarianism, whether it's feminism, we would also explain and spend quite a bit of time, uh, Jason, explaining the beauty of what God has designed. Uh, I, I think if there was an element that, that, that would be an encouragement uh, to, uh, to, to, to the documentary and, and to uh, kind of what was, what was happening there with, with Spencer's documentary, which I thought, again, I, I, the, when I got a chance to walk through the, 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 third, the, the third wave of this, I, I thought I could see just a progression of his ability uh, to, to, to produce and, and, and develop content. Uh, I, I would have just spent a bit more time uh, unpacking the beauty of what it means to be truly feminine. Uh, I think we don't have enough pictures of what that looks like uh, in the culture. And so uh, the, the beauty of what it means to be a, a, a woman who's who's tending to the home, a woman who loves her husband, a woman who you know looks forward to, to, to the family coming together over a meal that she's prepared. I mean, all of these kinds of concepts that we're talking about here uh, for the most part, to the to the modern day woman is is something that 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 it's like a it's like a record scratches uh, when they hear a woman tending to the home. But but I, I, one of the things that I thought that uh, that Spencer pointed out well was that that when Satan desired to get into the garden, uh, he went after the woman because she was the link to the man and to and to children. Um, you've heard me on this show mention the the biblical order uh, prior to children, uh, which was was God and then man uh, and and then and then all of creation before children created order uh, and and then and then you know uh, it was God God man uh, children created order and what Satan comes in as he does he flips that order on its head and so Satan who has created order gets to the woman, impacts the man who absolutely abandons what God has said. We, we've discussed those kinds of things on this show often. Um, and, and so th- I thought that I thought that the, uh, that, that the that the video that, that was done, the movie that was done, uh, w- was done with excellence. I thought I thought Spencer did a fantastic job of putting that together. There are elements that I would have added to it. There are places I'll say this and stop. There were places where because of the fact that 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 I have a theological background, uh, and, and have training and, and have been exposed to many of the teachers that were in his video, uh, Spencer would make a claim uh, and then he would allow the, uh, the, the actors, the, 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 uh, the uh, you know, the, the different um, people that, that were coming in, uh, the preachers, the pastors, the leaders, they would amplify the point by making a statement, a brief statement. It would have been excellent. It would have taken the the, the movie now. It would have, have, of course, been 10, 20 hours long. But it, it would have been great to have him take those clips and break down who those people were and why what they said was important and why they amplified the point he was making. I understood it because I understood the shorthand. I know who Matt Chandler is. I know who some of these people that he had in his video are. Uh, but for the average person who doesn't necessarily know, uh, man, it would have been incredible uh, to take that two. He could have taken that two-hour series and broken that into, 
you know, a five part, 10 part uh, explanation of all the pieces of the puzzle. But again, overall, I, I, anybody can Monday, Monday morning quarterback a thing. Uh, but uh, but again, for, for the effort that he put into it and what he did, I thought for the most part, it was it was solid. And, and so that's one of the things in, in talking with you, Virgil, yesterday to where Again, it's like my role on this show and where I'm at in life, it, I'm in a different place, not better or worse, I'm just in a different place than you and Anthony and Spencer. And so I'm kind of the test dummy. <laughs> and and I, I think of myself as representing the audience. Mm. And this is why what Spencer did attracted me so much mm. is because I need to be punched in the mouth. Yeah. I, 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 need, I, I need to be sparked emotionally mm. with some anger, because God gave us anger for a reason. It sure. will motivate us. And someone like me needs to be punched in the mouth, whereas you and Anthony and others that are more sophisticated and perhaps further along in their journey and understanding, they don't need to be punched in the mouth because they already understand a lot of what Spencer's talking about. Because yeah. what, what Spencer does and what, what you and Anthony do for me, what TJ Moe does for me, is y'all are consistently punching me in the mouth, stomach or whatever, and making me say, well, man, I gotta go look this up. Let me go home and research. <laughs> and that's what your documentary did for me and I think a lot of average people and Virgil, I, I, I like your use of the word beauty, mm -hmm. but I think the more uh, attractive word mm -hmm. is benefit, <laughs> is show people the benefits of God's natural order, I think is what you're really, because people love benefits. Some people are kind of up and down on beauty and beauty's in the eye of the beholder in some people's yeah. minds and all that. But when you say, oh, I got some benefits over here for you, I agree with that, mm -hmm. is that for people like, I wish that when I was younger, it had been stressed harder to me, the benefits of marriage. Mm -hmm. My parents were divorced. Mama, I know you're watching. I love you to death. My mother, other than Mary, is the greatest mother that ever lived. But my mother was not big on marriage after the, her divorce. She was very hurt and, and uh, you know, wouldn't say angry, to, but she just wasn't a big believer in marriage after her divorce. And so me and my mother, I can remember as younger people, Mama, I love you to death, my mother, other than Mary's the greatest mother that's ever existed, in my opinion. But we used to have all kinds of conversations. Well, there's really no reason to get married, you know. You know? <laughs> and so that's part of me. And then I watched my father loved to get married. He's married three times uh, <laughs> and would have been married a fourth time. But it, it, my father was also a player. He was never going to be faithful to anybody and so it's like he got married because you know he likes his house clean when he come home mm -hmm. and he, <laughs> he likes a young woman and blah blah but anyway I, I needed to be better educated on the benefits and so I, I agree with you Virgil I, I'm just saying I would just tweak that word beauty sure. if someone told me hey let me tell you the beauty of marriage I'd be like ah. you say hey Jason let me tell you the benefits yeah I love benefits mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. and so anyway I want to uh, and Vir, do you 
do you disagree with my uh, or have a further thought about benefits yeah, versus I, beauty? I, 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 I want to jump in with this just briefly, and and that is, um, yeah. I, I thought you know what you, what you did on Tucker Carlson the other day that 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 really motivated the conversation that really jarred the conversation uh, when you talked about women and uh, you know baby mo- baby mama culture and all of that that was a jarring that took place but it required I, I, in, in my estimation I think there's a both and rather than an either or I think that was the gut punch for culture right when they heard you make that statement the millions of people who were watching got a gut punch now you opened up the platform so that on the very next day that we had an opportunity, all the all the commentators and people that you would normally reach out to and talk to, we got a chance to come on and, and for a lengthy show, a rather lengthy show, unpack all the specificity, break down all of the issues related to it. I would I would liken what Spencer's done with this in the same way, in that perhaps for many, this is the gut punch, right? I mean, there there you can, like I said, you can Monday morning quarterback anything. You should have done this. You should have did that. It, it would have been better to do this. And, and at the end of the day, he was providing a gut punch. I think that was that was helpful, and it's obviously been 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 uh, well watched. Uh, but I do believe it is critically important to come back on the backside of that and have a conversation that's that's much more instructive and, and much more detail oriented. Not that he wasn't. Two hours, you're going to get into the detail. Uh, but to the point that I'm making, where you where you make a claim, you, you, there's a statement made by a pastor or some some religious leader. It's important to know who those people are because they are they are some of some of the leaders. Uh, in the uh, in the evangelical community, so to speak, uh, in religious circles is, is is a better way to say it, um, and 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 to unpack what what we do. We do this every you know every opportunity we get, whether it's the Jamal Bryant's of the world, or you know whether whether we're talking you know about people that 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 are leaders in black churches. We're always doing that for the purpose of education. So, I want to play a clip about and because again, all of this stuff is fundamental to you all, but there are those of us in the audience that that love to have these things that are simple to you all explain in detail to us. And and this is one I actually get, but I did it, it 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 I didn't really it's been recent that I've fully understood complementarianism versus egalitarianism. And so I want to play this clip and then I want you guys to unpack the differences and the benefits and the the, the side effects of trying to go this egalitarian route versus what God intended, a more complementarian relationship between men and women. Let's play the clip. It's not good. Now, the Bible teaches something that is commonly called complementarianism which is the idea that men and women are equal in value, but they just have different gifts and have different roles to play in society and in the church and in the home. It does not mean that one is better than the other or more valuable than the other. That's absurd. Nobody who believes the Bible preaches that. But we do understand from looking at the Bible that men are given a different task than women, and women are given a different task than men. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where the Bible says, man and woman created he them. And a good analogy to understand this is the military analogy. Now, the United States military has several branches, but I'll just give you four of them. I mean, you have the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and the Marines. They're all equally valuable because they all do something that is vital. It's just different. 
Now the Air Force is a very valuable tool to have when you're fighting a war, but the Air Force by itself really is not complete. It's, it's not enough to do the entire job just by itself. And the same with the Navy. The Navy has a huge role to play in warfare and getting troops to locations and things like that. But by itself, the Navy is not going to be able to do everything that needs to be done. And if you have a great well-trained army and a great well-trained Marine Corps, and you don't have an Air Force to cover them or a Navy to transport them, uh, then you, you just don't have all the tools that you need to get every job done. You are not a fully furnished military force. You've got to have all facets of it working together. And none is more vital or more important than the other, but they, they all complement each other, if you will. And that's really the best illustration I give you of complementarianism. So, Spencer, walk us through, and then I'm going to have Anthony and, and Virgil walk us through the other side of this, but unpack a little bit about when you go the egalitarian route, mm -hmm. why that leads to trouble in the church, why it leads to trouble in the home, mm -hmm. and then I want Anthony and Virgil to walk us through the benefits of complementarianism. We'll, 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 we'll execute what Virgil wants us to execute because yeah. you put us in position to do that. Okay. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. When you have complementarianism, you have, uh, you're acknowledging that it, different genders have different natures. Okay. Well, I have two boys and two girls. And when we were kids, when they were little babies, we put them in the, in the cart there at Walmart. We'd walk down the boy aisle and the girls would not react to anything on the, on those shelves. I'd walk them down the down the uh, walk the girls down the girl aisle, and they would just go crazy at all these pink things on the shelves and stuff. And I noticed that they're just they're just naturally different. Um, I th I think when I walk past our church and I see these church ladies having conversations, and I listen to what they're talking about, the church ladies are talking about babies and kids. But you walk past the men at the church, they're talking about new constructions and builds and rental homes and whatever they talk. They talk they talk about things. Women talk about kids. They, they have a nurturing aspect to them. And so if you, if you, I mean, if you go into more of a egalitarian mindset, you, you, you pervert all that. You, you, you have all, I mean, we have so many things going on where like uh, the transgender issues of today, people don't even know what they are anymore. And, and what I've tried to do in this documentary is emphasize the spirituality behind all this. Okay, when you go from order to balance, you make men and women equal. Basically, you create, in a sense, an androgynous culture. You create feminine men and you create masculine women. And, the, and, and I'm sorry, but these women that are standing on the street corners screaming like barbarians, going on these feminist rallies, they're not married for a reason because there ain't no man in the world who wants to marry that. It's just not natural. It's just not natural. And so what you do is, is you, you warp something that God has put in place. It's not natural, and it's, it's no wonder that we have all the societal problems we have today. So I think women are more happy when they are raising kids, and I think men are happy when they are providing and working, and that's just the natural order of things. And, and I didn't create that. The Bible created that. 
And, uh, and I mean, there's a number of different passages we can show you, but I think in the Garden of Eden, God created uh, a, a system that we, we, I guess we would now call it patriarchy, where the man is leading and the women are following, of course. But if you can have a godless patriarchy that's just as damaging as any feminism that could ever exist, but the, the man follows Christ and, and the woman follows the man as he follows Christ and the children follow their parents. Okay, that's God's order. When you step outside of that, there are consequences. I was speaking to a man today and he, he told me this. He said, we have emphasized so much women's rights that we have failed to actually develop men's character. And I think that's a good way to look at that. Men today have no character. They don't, they don't understand that, yeah, you can go start a business. You can go lead a family. You can go be this man that you were created to be. Why? Because we're so scared of the women. And the women want to lead. The women want to run the companies. The women want to, I mean, uh, you know, run for political office today. And that's, I'm sorry, but that's just not natural. I can show you in Isaiah chapter 3, one of the curse of God upon a nation is when women rule. That's a curse of God upon a nation. I can show you that in the Bible. And so this whole complementarian thing, it, it, it is a departure from biblical truth. And when you do so, there are consequences to that. There are generational consequences, spiritual consequences. There are societal consequences. And really, in, in a sense, you can open up Pandora's box and, and do, you can do things and set things in motion that you cannot undo at that point. And that's true of any Bible truth, let alone complementarianism versus egalitarianism. I'm older than all of you guys, and so I've lived long enough and been around that, that I sit here every day like, there are a hundred times more confused young people yeah. about who they are. <laughs> and my yep. man, and, and you, this is a design, this is something they've orchestrated. Mm -hmm through, they've created this confusion. Sure they have. And, 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 and nobody can tell me that I'm wrong what I've experienced and seen with my own eyes. It's pervasive. Yes, there used to be a handful of kids mm -hmm. that were confused about their identity, made some interesting alternative lifestyle choices. Mm -hmm. Now it's pervasive and normalized. Yep. And, and this is by design. This is not, this to me comes from, you know, telling women that the key to their happiness is being a man. Yes. And, yeah. and the, 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 the greatest woman is now a man. Mm -hmm. it, that's bizarre and crazy to me, but the, there has to be great benefits, Anthony, mm -hmm. to a complementarian church and lifestyle. You hear me often go back to Genesis chapter one in talking about the problems that we have in the world, how things have gone off. He does a great job by using the term order. Okay, God created order. Even in creating the world, there is not water all over the place in creating the world. I need water to be here, land to be here. I need air to be here. I need animals to be here. I need he creates order, and in his created order, there are benefits. The other thing that we want to look at in his created order is function, another term that Spencer uses. How God makes something, it's supposed to function in a certain way, considering all of creation. We tend to, in our culture now, we have more of a isolated identity, more of a competitive identity, 
So instead of looking at something as this is what this is made for, this is what this is made for, we go into, well, which one is better or worse? Even biblically, Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in talking about parts of our body. You know, we think, well, which one is better? You know, which one? Well, your eyes are better. And he says, what if the whole body was a foot, right? We need these different parts because I made it that way. I made this body. David says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So as it relates to why you want to go back to God's order, Spencer deals with this in his documentary. When we step out of it, we create competition in areas that there should not be competition. Mm -hmm. Now men are competing with women. It was never designed to be that. Now you've got women that want to be men. You've got men that want to be women. Wait a minute, hold on, we've stepped out of order. When the man functions in his, uh, when he operates in his order and function that God designed him, he's going out hunting. He's going out competing, conquering, because God designed him that way. If there is a nurturing edge that he needs, God creates out of Adam, pulls out of Adam and creates woman to complement. The scripture actually says a helper suitable for him. This was what God designed. So now when that house functions that way, and this goes all the way through, children get to watch. I've got a son and a daughter. They get to see, my son gets to see, wait a minute, dad and mom, they operate differently in how they do this. Now they work together. We work together, but we operate differently. My daughter is going to look at mom. Uh, we, we do different things. I'm not just saying different task or skill. We operate differently, mm -hmm. but we operate complementary together as God designs. So now when they leave the home, they're going to go in society understanding their identity because they know who we are and we know where we find our identity in God. Outside of that, it becomes chaotic. It becomes and it goes into everything. And that's what we're existing in now this competitive, this who's better than who, but not in terms of function. We don't get that concept. The Bible explains it, details it. They operated according to God's order. And it, it's just, we accept it that way. There aren't anybody, nobody in this world is arguing over, well, why do we have to stick down here? Why can't we float? Because God created order. He created it to where, hey, you know what, gravity, is going to put you down like I want you to be down, etc. So because of his order, when we operate like that, everything glorifies God in his creation. All of nature, all of the world glorifies God because of the order that he created us to be in. Virgil, I'm going to come back to you. I want to throw this in. I want you to stay positive and, and talk <laughs> about benefits. I'm going to mention another just obvious negative that 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 drives me and 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 just like and I you three all have kids I don't but I just want kids to have the same opportunity that I had I want them to my childhood growing up poor it was awesome just an awesome childhood even though I was poor but it the opportunity seemed limitless things seemed far more normal than they are and but the world we're leaving your kids drives me crazy and, and it's it's about this whole egalitarian complementary and the confusion and chaos that it's con creating 
and what it's incentivizing for your kids. What I think is going on with you know, the, the, the kids that are between five and 20 years old, it is being explained to them in the classroom and in corporate America. You know what? It, men, women, you all are creating against, uh, competing against each other. You know what that would give you a leg up in corporate America right now? Be gay. Be, yeah. be transgender. Yeah. Be, f meet one of these diversity check boxes that we mm -hmm. have, and now you, that gives you a leg up in the workplace. Sure. They, they're paying people to abandon their own identities. That's why we keep seeing more and more people say, you know what, both my parents are white, but I'm gonna lie and say that I'm half black. I'm gonna be Rachel Dolezal. I'm gonna be Sean King. I'm gonna mm -hmm. come out of my identity that God gave me that's, per it's a blessing from God, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna pretend to be something else. We're leaving this world for your kids. Your son, daughter, whatever, make go, I said, man, if I'm gonna get that promotion and be valuable in the workplace, if I'm gonna be popular in school, I better be bisexual. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're heterosexual, you're an oppressor, you're an evil person, you're this or that. And I'm just saying, it, it, it keeps me up at night. It's like, <laughs> this is what we're leaving kids? Yeah. The, the, we will all burn in hell for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Ver, try to get me back on a positive side if you can, Virgil. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. I think I think what you laid out is is critical. You mentioned the benefits. One of the benefits of a complementarian marriage, uh, a complementarian view uh, of, of of life altogether is it actually it actually turns around. It actually uh, repairs all the things that you mentioned that, that keep you up at night. Uh, a, a, a woman who understands her her role uh, as it pertains to family, as it pertains to her husband, is raising kids who are filled with joy, uh, who are not confused about sexuality, who, who are not trying to figure out who they are or whose they are. They're they're connected to their father and their mother, and and, and their mo mom and dad are pointing them to Christ as they follow Christ. That's that's one of the many benefits. Men, as, as men, as human beings, uh, Vody Bakum talks about the four Ps, uh, that we are providers, protectors, prophets, and priests as men. Uh, the benefit for a, a woman in a complementarian uh, marriage is that she has someone who's serious about providing for her. She has someone who's serious about protecting her. She has someone who's serious as, as a prophet. And by that, what I don't mean is someone who's seeing the future. What I do mean is, is someone who, who stands on truth, even when it's difficult. Uh, she, you hear women all the time say, I just would, I wish I could find a man who was honest, who had integrity, who, who, who I could trust. Well, in, in a complementarian marriage, these men have a desire to operate and function in their proper role, and those women enjoy the benefit of that kind of a uh, that that kind of that kind of marriage. Uh, you have a, he, he also is a is a priest of his home, and, and by that I don't mean that it, that he's you know he's some kind of shaman or he's some kind of you know ha has some kind of role, but that he is constantly and consistently pointing the family to the things of God. That there's great benefit in a man who is submitted in his relationship with God first 
and takes very seriously his role as a father. So now you have these women who hear that or hear me say that and think, that's not what I want. I want to go run the company. Well, you could you could have that if you want to. And I know that culture has filled women with the message that that's what they can do. They can be all that they can be. But what you find more times than not, when those women slow down to quietly think about their lifestyles, most of them would give up their law law practice. They would give up their corporate job if they could have a man who loved them in the way that I just described and children who called them blessed. I think about the Proverbs 31 woman who, who her, her, her family calls her blessed. She, she's not, a, she's not a, 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 you know, a nanny nurse at home and do, doing nothing. She has a, a business. She's profitable in her home, but she understands her proper role in the family. And in that role, she experiences true blessing. When we get back to a complementarian view, particularly of marriage and in every area and every facet, we experience God's blessing. That's what takes place. Uh Anthony, there was at some point in the documentary, Spencer, I want you to unpack it. We're not going to play the clip because I think we cut it too long. But uh, Spencer, you talked about Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. And and as soon as you started talking about it, I was like, uh, Anthony and a group of us have spent a lot of time in the book of Ephesians in a, in a weekly, and, and, and Anthony talked about the Gnostics mm -hmm. and just they mm -hmm. thought they were smarter than everybody else. Yeah. And so if you, I want you to unpack the part of your documentary where it talks about Gnosticism and then Anthony, I want you to follow in on it just on some of the conversations we've had in a Bible study. Yeah. Well, sure. The, the Gnostics, of course, were first century false religion. Basically, they believed that the God of the Old Testament was a tyrant and he was just a big monster. And he locked Adam and Eve in a cage and called it the Garden of Eden. And it, it's, it's ridiculous. It really, much of modern day occultism and Luciferianism, Satanism is basic on that idea that the God of the Old Testament is a monster. He, and he is a bad dude and we are the good people. And so in, in Gnostics, they believe that, uh, that this, this divine feminine entity called Sophia, which is their version of the Holy Spirit, sent a light bearer named Lucifer, and Lucifer gave them the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that knowledge was the gnosis. That was a good thing. And their eyes were opened, they achieved enlightenment, and they were able to escape this prison. And then Jesus came around, of course, in the New Testament. He was sent by the Abraxas and, uh, and all that, and He became a, a religious teacher. He wasn't a Savior dying for your sins. He was, he was a, a religious teacher showing you the way to enlightenment. By, and they, and they, they interpret the Bible mystically. All their hermeneutics are just so mystical. I mean, it's, it's the most unbelievable stuff you'd ever hear. But they believe that uh, verses that Jesus said, where the kingdom of God is in you. They believe that, that man has a divine spark in him. And basically all that has to do, we just have to fan the flames of that and build that and build that and build this fire inside of you. And then eventually you can transcend and go up to, to heaven and break all these barriers and all these chains. And I do believe the modern Gnostics uh, are heavily involved in the modern charismatic church and their demiurge is Bible doctrine. That's exactly what their demiurge is. And demiurge, the demiurge is the God of the Old Testament, the tyrant, the, gotcha. the, the, the chains that we are bound by in this system. And if we just get this enlightenment, we can break through all these barriers and whatever. Feminism is a form of Gnosticism. The glass ceiling that Hillary Clinton was talking about that she was going to break is patriarchy. And, and that was, in a sense, a breaking free of a system that the God of the Old Testament put in place. 
So this is all Gnostic in its origin and in its system. And so this, I mean, and this, and it, the thing about mystery religion is so difficult to spot it because it manifests itself in many different ways. I mean, it could be social justice this week, the Democrat Party next week. It could be false teachers the next week. And, it, and it's, it's all of that, but none of that. It's really, it's really bizarre. That's why the Bible calls it a mystery, okay? Um, and, it, and, that's, and that's really why they use the term the occult because it's a hidden thing. It's not really necessarily like out in your face. The only time the, the occult comes out in the open is during the Super Bowl halftime show and during the Grammys, okay? That's the only time the cult comes out and says, here we are, look at us, and then they go back into hiding. That's, that's it. So, and I'll stand on that statement for sure. Uh, but, but other than that, they're always working in the background. And so Gnosticism, I think, we don't call it that today. I think we call it feminism today. Uh, I think that, um, you know, this whole Mother Earth worship that people are practicing, they call it climate change and conservatism. I, I personally, I think one of the high priests of this, this false religion is Greta Thunberg. Okay, she's, she's, we've got to protect Mother Earth and stick with Mother Earth. We've got to break through all this terrible system that we live in, which is called like capitalism and whatever. That's their demiurge. They want to break free from all that. And basically, it's the inversion of everything. And, it, it, and it's, it's difficult to explain because it's so complex and it manifests itself in so many different ways. And that's why in the documentary, we kind of isolated this whole idea to just the women aspect of it and feminism and stuff and how that manifests itself in the church. But yeah, that in a nutshell is Gnosticism and it's, it's very prevalent today. I see it everywhere. It's, as he pointed out, it's, it's them trying to know their way out of God. And yes. so any way that I'm trying to know and even to the ability of, hey, I can do and speaking directly to truth and well, it's not that it's this. And I know and I know and I know. And so when Paul writes Ephesians or the letter to the church at Ephesus and the things that he says hits right smack dab on any kind of Gnostic ideology, he's speaking directly to this when he talks about what God Christ and the Holy Spirit does in working out our salvation. Mm. I can't know myself out of this. I need God. Mm. When we look at what uh, Spencer's breaking down, if everything related to God, order, creation, uh, and God's uh, pathway for man, God's word for man to sustain man, all of that's evil, even down to the word, all of it's evil. So what do they have to do? They have to go at a different angle to recreate. So it's not God is love. It's love is love. So now it's just I mm -hmm. love whoever I want to love. In order for me to find my identity, I don't go to the God who created me. I just go to the God of self. How do you feel? Who do you think you sure. are? So now I've redefined love. I've redefined identity. And now we speak to purpose. Everything that God does is according to his will and his purpose. So if I step outside of the order, if we follow what you were pointing out, Jason, just a minute ago, if we follow this LGBTQ life to the end, it leaves us with nothing. There will not be another generation. There will be no more kids. There will be no more heritage. There's nothing. But if we follow God's order, the first disciples that are ever made are those made in the Christian home. We're sending out disciples. We are sending out the next generation to preserve what God has intended for us. So the only way to get outside of that is to redefine everything. That's why there's a new word for everything. There's a new idea for everything. We redefine it. We've escaped from the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. And 
you really, this Gnosticism you helped me understand even from your documentary is like, oh no, this is actually what feminism is. And, and I always talk, I, I love to talk about uh, idolatry. Mm -hmm. And I call everything yeah. racial idolatry. I don't like using the word racism. Mm -hmm. It's not in the, in the, in the Bible. Idolatry is, yeah. and 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 we've got this form of racial idolatry. We got all. I had a food idolatry, uh, you know. I had a lust idolatry, and all, all you know. But but I, I love trying to. The, the power is in the words in the Bible, and they continually try to. Let's come yeah. up with words that aren't in the Bible, and yeah. redefine the discussion. And I'm I'm always looking for ways. Well, tell me what the biblical word is for that and let's talk about that sure because I know that's what and so now you've helped me with Gnosticism mm -hmm. and I can talk about that rather than feminism and just say this is just a female version of Gnosticism yep. and 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 yep. Virgil I, I want to give you I'm sure you've got something you want to add on this particular topic <laughs> no I just I, I'm just amen in what what you guys are saying saying there and and all of it's spot on and it comes from the book I mean at, at the end of the day we talk about it on this show often uh, there, there are two things that are happening in, in the culture. One, one is that, that they, they don't want to acknowledge God. And that's, again, the, the Gnostics wanted to be God, right? They, they, had, they had this inner spark, this, this idea that, that, that they were indeed smarter than God. Uh, and so that, that was the idea that was pushed there. Our culture, our time, our day, our society is no different. Uh, we want to abandon God's sovereignty. God said man and woman uh, shall, shall unite in marriage. The two will become one flesh. Well, we want to abandon that. We want to decide how what we want to define as marriage. We want to restructure uh, a created order in our own image and likeness. And so that you have all of that taking place uh, as a result. The other thing is that, that Christians, and one of the things I, I do appreciate uh, about Spencer's movie was that he spent a lot of time talking about the fact that Christians are abandoning the text of scripture. Jason, you mentioned it just a moment ago. You want to continue to go back to what the Bible says. What, can I find a Bible word? Can I find a, 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 some Bible terminology? And the reason for that is because if you can properly diagnose the problem based upon what scripture has to say, then you can properly deal with the cure, which for the most part is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's imperative that we do use the scripture, that we do find the language in the text of scripture, and that we use that to identify the problem so that we can apply the proper cure that's necessary in, in, the, in the issues that are, that are out there. I wanna play one more clip and this one, I, I, and, and someone tell me, Justin, or tell these guys, do we have the clip of, about God as a divider and Satan as a unifier? This is, we, we have that clip, am I right? Do we have, yeah. L let's play this clip because this is the one thing where I'm at on my journey. I was like, whoo, boy, this dude done blew my mind. I gotta ask Anthony and Virgil and everybody else, is he right about this? Play the clip. Hours. And we're all going to unite and unify. And then we're going to usher in the kingdom of God onto this earth. And they call it the Seven Mountain Mandate. And they also call it the Kingdom Now theology. But basically what these people believe is that they're going to make the world a better place and that it's going to get better and better and better and better. And that eventually Jesus will just step out. And these people don't realize it, but they are actually preparing the world for the Antichrist in the name of Christ. It's, it's astounding how blind these people are. I want to share as a foundation. This is a symbol that we've shown a lot in this documentary. This is called the rebus, and this is actually a symbol of alchemy. And if you notice, this creature has 
a head of a man and a head of a woman. This is a duality that has been merged. And uh, the symbol above them is actually the uh, as a golden star. It's actually a symbol of the age of Aquarius. There is a sun. There is a moon. And then also, if you notice here, notice what's in their hands. There's there's this symbol going down, and there's this symbol, kind of a pyramid going up like that, and one going down. Okay, so uh, this this symbol is actually what the Masons, the Masonic Lodge, have. They have the same symbol. The uh, you see the feminine on the bottom, and then you see the masculine on the top. And in the middle of that, that G stands for the Grand Architect, which they is their God. And the Masons are not Christians. Please do not ever think that the Masons are Christians. They're just not. So what you have here is the Rebus symbol. And notice what's in their hands. you got the, the masculine and feminine all brought into perfect balance. And that's what the Masons believe. That's their religion. But in this Rebus, I want you to notice there's so much here. The R-E and then there's an I-S over here. Um, the RE stands for Ra, and the IS stands for Isis. And these are the Egyptian names of Nimrod and Semiramis. Re being Ra, and Isis being uh, Semiramis. And Re is actually Nimrod and then Semiramis there. And what you have is Re or Ra be Isis. Or you can play it backwards, Isis be Ra. It's a merger of genders, and it is a duality that is fixed. And this is actually the perfect end-all, be-all of all the occult. This is the perfect androgynous, perfectly balanced being. This is the goal of all this. And so let me just... This symbol right here that I hold in my hand, this statue that many Americans love and adore, this was given to us by... Western European Freemasons. And if you'll notice, this is the body and hair of a woman and the face of a man. This is Semiramis. This is her. And she hides right out in plain view and you never see her. This is a picture of the perfect androgynous being. All right, so... I was looking at other things while we were playing that clip. The, 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 point, and the, the, the point of the discussion I want to have here with all three of you guys is, I'm not sure if it was played exactly in this clip, but you argue, Spencer, mm -hmm. that God is a divider mm -hmm. and Satan is a unifier, mm -hmm. and that was a lot for me. It, yeah. it, it, it's the first I've yeah. heard that as far as I can remember. And so yeah. I want you to explain that, and then I want Anthony and, and Virgil to chime in. That was a lot mm -hmm. for me. Well, what you see throughout the Bible is you see God's people, especially in the Old Testament, God keeping His people holy. And the word holy means set apart. You know, you can't, you can't have unholy people if they're, if they're mixed with the common stuff. Holy means set apart. And God wants His people to be set apart from the sin, the world, the flesh, the devil, away from all of that stuff. And so God sets His people aside. I mean, there's, there's parables about this. There's multiple parables about the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. God's going to divide all that away. Uh, and, and, and we live in this idea, this age now, and it's, it's, it has to do, in fact, in part with the divine feminine thinking that we just need to hold hands with everybody, just love everybody, uh, you know, hold hands in, in a kumbaya sense, and that's what's going to make the world a better place. Everybody's just too divisive today. Everybody's just too mean, and we just need to all love, 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 which love detached from truth is satanic. 
That's what people don't get. Love detached from Bible truth is satanic love. And any, any unity de de uh, detached from Bible truth is a satanic uh, unity as well. And that's part of the thing with the Billy Graham Crusades is that he would, you know, he would unite with known heretics like Norman Vincent Peale and stuff like that, uh, who Norman Vincent Peale basically was the Joel Osteen of his day. And, uh, you know, the man wasn't even a Christian, but he would, Billy Graham would get converts and unite with Norman Vincent Peale, send people into that church. All that was bad. That was detrimental. It was wrong. And so, really, if we're going to stand for truth in a world of lies, we've got to have some lines drawn and say, you know, I can't yoke up with this crowd. I can't yoke up with those people because they don't believe Bible truth. Now, we may have a common cause, but I can't yoke up with them because we just don't believe in the same things. And, and that's okay. That's, that's okay. Everybody's so scared of being divisive, and that's one of the accusations people hurl at me is that he's too divisive. Well, no, I mean, I, I just, I point to the lines that God has already drawn. That's my job as a preacher. I'm not dividing anything. I'm just pointing out this is what God said. How do you get people on your side of a line, though, if you're not, okay, this person mm -hmm. is in a different place in his walk. There was a time mm -hmm. I was on the wrong side of the line. Sure, sure. And I, I needed people to be like, no, Jason, come on over. It's better on this side of the line. Yeah. And, and I needed them to be open to that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, what my job as a preacher is to make truth available, not really make it acceptable per se. My job is to make it available, articulate truth and, and preach the truth. And, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, you know, I'm not trying to be unkind or nothing like that. But I have to say this is what's right. And when people understand the message, they have to make a choice. Am I going to stay in my false ways? I mean, even when you preach the gospel, you say, okay, if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to die and go to hell. You're a wicked sinner. You're undone before God. The Bible says, Romans 3.10, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, if, and you're condemned. But Jesus died for you. And if you receive Him as your Savior, you can have the cleansing of sin, forgiveness of sin. At that point, that person's got to make a decision. They've got to make a choice to accept or reject that. And really, you know, I, I lean on the Lord to touch people's hearts. I, I want everybody to believe the Bible. I want everybody to be a Christian. I want everybody to be saved. But unfortunately, it's just not going to happen. Not everybody's going to go to heaven. And that, that's a sad truth that just needs to be talked about. I, I do my best to try to be a nice guy. I try to, you know, smile and joke and, and uh, be, you know, I don't want to be a nasty, hateful disposition person. But I don't want to overemphasize that because that's when you get to where I like him, but he's a, he's a heretic and that kind of territory. I, I, my job is just to preach the truth and depend on the Lord to touch hearts and just, you know, let people do what, make a choice that they're going to make. That's really all I can do. Hearing, hearing a little bit more out of it, I, I kind of see where he's going. Uh, that was one of the areas I was wanting to ask you about yeah. was that divider piece because I look at it from Jesus's perspective that it's the truth that's going to, you're going to make a decision and that decision is what divides you. Like yeah. either you stand for truth or you don't. But, you know, I was trying to look at it like, well, man, but Ephesians, you know, the, the, the thread of the message is Jew, Gentile, you guys were divided and you are united by the cross. You mm -hmm. share the same disposition with sin, right? Mm -hmm. But you're united by the cross. So I'm seeing it like, okay, this is a message of unity, but on the basis of truth. And I think Correct. that's where you're, that, that's where we're yeah. kind of touching. Like if you reject truth, I see that more as you 
divided yourself from God. You stepped away versus if you accept his truth, mm. we can all be united by the cross. Is that? Sure, sure. Okay. It, but it, it goes much deeper than that, though. Okay. Um, you know, like there, there are people out there that are claiming to be Christians. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, like, and, and I, I think they're, you know, nice people. I don't have an issue with them. Mm -hmm. But the way they describe their born again experience, I, I don't even know if they're Scientologists or if they're, <laughs> I mean, what, what are these people? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I am troubled by this, the conversion stories that I hear. I mean, I, I was reading something from some country music singer from the 90s, some woman, and she said some dude in a black robe talk, came up to her at a truck stop and told her everything's going to be okay. And then she said, that's the night I met Jesus. And I'm thinking that's that you didn't meet Jesus like that. Wow. That's weird. And 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 you know I uh, you know and I, Joel Osteen's the one I always like to pick on. I mean, his wife openly says that Jesus Christ was not God until he was baptized by John the Baptist. Mm. The woman openly says that. And uh, to me, that's not only heresy; that's damnable heresy. I can't. I, I I mean, they claim to be Christians. I cannot. I cannot fellowship with that. I won't mm. fellowship with that. Um, and that's that's okay that that is actually a spiritual healthy practice to say no I'm not I'm not yoking up with that that's that's dangerous that's bad theology and the church today is let their guard down on everything that claims to be Christian especially especially in the music you have Bethel Hillsong and Elevation and Maverick City music these people I am convinced these people are not Christians these people are, the things that they say about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit makes me wonder if these people are, are cultists. They mm. scare me. And the, the, the things that they, the way that these people live, the way that these people, the things that, they, that come out of their mouth, that are doctrinal, the practices these people have in their churches, it frightens me what these people are into. And I've, I have had the, just the burden of saying, I don't know if I can call these people my brother in Christ. Mm. Okay. But the churches today are so scared to, to do that for fear of coming across as unloving. And part of my goal in this documentary is to say that calling sin, sin, and calling error, error is a good and godly and spiritual and biblical practice, and we must do so as God's people. And when we, when we step away from that, we are stepping into a system that is what we have called the divine feminine. It is, it is well, I don't want to say nothing. It, it, I call it thumper theology, like thumper from Bambi. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Okay, have you ever read the sermons of Jesus Christ? <laughs> you know, where he looked at a group of people and said, you bunch of people, you're, you're, how, you pit of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? Okay, Jesus was truth and he was love, but he was truth. He preached truth. And I think today we, we as, as Christians, especially North America today, we're so scared of rocking the boat or upsetting somebody. And I don't, I don't like being in fights. I don't like being, I don't like drama. I don't, I don't like it. It, it. it irritates me. It bothers me. But when it comes to theological heaven and hell issues, the fact that I won't say something is sin. We talk about men need to step up and lead. Well, men need to step up and lead the church and say, no, we're not doing that. that. That's wrong. We're not doing that here. I mean, I just did a video on my YouTube channel the other day about the Grammys. And I mean, you got, you got Sam Smith getting up there literally doing an homage to Lucifer in front of everybody, the whole world. And then they have the audacity to deny it. And matter of fact, CBS uh, made a tweet out underneath Sam Smith's uh, rehearsal saying that we are ready to worship. Well, my question is, what are you guys ready to worship? Wow. 
I mean, that, that, and they deleted the tweet. I've got the receipts. I've got the screenshots. They, they put this out. CBS put this out. Okay, for me to just ignore that and say, well, it's fine. You know, I, ain't, I don't want to cause no trouble. I don't want to come across as unloving. <laughs> you know, uh, that is the divine feminine. You don't see people in the Bible doing that. You don't see Elijah. You don't see Paul. You don't see the great men of God in the Bible doing that. They went out and they preached and they had some truth. And we live in a day and age now where churches have no conviction. They have no conviction about anything. The lines are so blurred and so fuzzy. We, we don't want to come across as unkind. We don't want to come across as abrasive. And I get that. And I work real hard at that. I, I, I desperately, I beg God, I want, to, I, want to be, I want to say the truth in love. I want to, but I do want to say the truth. I want to tell the truth. And the truth is this transgender wickedness that's going on today is going to send people to hell. This, this pornography culture epidemic we've got in churches today is ruining families. It's ruining lives. And, and, and somebody's got to say something. Somebody's got to say something. We've got to preach righteousness. And, and if, you're going to preach, if you're going to preach Christ and you're going to push people towards Christ and say this is the way to go, it's going to go the opposite way of the world. Yes. You cannot you cannot marry the two. They're 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 they are they're one or the other. Either you love the world or you love Christ. And and that's what I mean by being divisive. God divides like that. You cannot every step towards Christ is going to be a step away from the world system. And I think we've uh, and and to wrap it all up what I'm trying to say is <laughs> we have bought into this kumbaya lovey-dovey hold hands and just sing about whatever and the world will be right. And that is demonic, is what it is. So, and Virgil, I'm gonna give you the final say, but I'm gonna add this. <clears throat> Your video, because in Third Adam 3, mm -hmm. I think you make reference to Maverick City Music, and yeah. you make reference to, I think, Lauren Daigle, yeah. and, and I, I listen to their music, and yeah. I, I enjoy their music. You opened my eyes yeah. and, and made me Think and and one of the things I thought was because Maverick City Music won some Grammy awards, four of them. Yeah, Sunday night, and and I think they received some of those awards after Sam Smith's performance. Mm -hmm. And and me, Jason Whitlock, if I had been at the Grammys, mm -hmm. I'm, I get up and walk out. Yep. It's like, oh man, they doing devil worship. <laughs> Let me, <laughs> I don't be nowhere near. That ain't me, God. Yeah. And so, literally, I'm like, y'all can mail me them awards. I'll be at home, <laughs> literally. And I'm not joking because I just did a whole show yesterday, just about, you know, someone lying to me and meeting me on a in a dishonest way. And mm -hmm. I, I was down in Florida. I hopped on a plane and flew back here and said, Let me get away from this. Mm -hmm. This ain't for me. Uh, so I get where you're coming from. I, I, it'll be hard for me to stop listening to mm. Maverick City music because it, it does, it puts me in a, I listen to a lot of gospel music and yeah. it puts me in a great spirit. And, and But anyway, I just had to get it off my chest. I really appreciate <laughs> you, Donnie, because you, you're, you're pushing me. Uh, Virgil, as it relates, and you have the final say here, as it relates to God as a divider and Satan as a unifier, your thoughts on what Spencer and Anthony here have discussed. No, they've, they've covered a lot of ground and uh, it'd be tough to, 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 to recapture uh, all of what they said. As they were talking, I, I, I got my Bible in front of me. I was flipping to different places, just waiting to see where, where the conversation would go. Uh, he, he called it thumper, thumper theology. I, I call it Rodney King 
theology, the idea of can can we all just get along, right? So so the the the, the, only, the only thing heretical uh, is actually calling out heresy uh, in in our in our common day. And so I, I identify and, and and agree with uh, much of what what he said there. I, I think at the same time, one of my one of my critiques or criticisms of of the, of the film. And, and again, I want to, want to preface it simply by saying, you know, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback with, there, there were a lot of, there were a lot of claims that were made, whether it was the Statue of Liberty claim uh, or, or some of the other claims in the movie. And, and even the God, God is as the divider without more explanation. I think the gut punch is great. Uh, I think it, I think it's, it, it's helpful to wake you up, but at the end of the day, you need to know exactly why what was said was said, and, and it needs to be anchored uh, in, in the text of scripture. So it's, it's not an either or, it's, it's definitely a, a both and. and. And when I think about the, the, the word unity in scripture, anytime you see the word unity uh, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's applied to believers in Christ, that unity is always on the basis of truth. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's never on the, it's never, it's never emotional, emotionally based. It's never uh, ideologically framed. It, it's always on the basis of understanding God's word and his truth. Uh, Jesus would say it this way in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the word. Your word is truth. That truth is going to divide people. Uh, I, I've, always, I've often said that there, there are only really two races uh, in the world. It's, it's those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Uh, all the rest of it is just shades of melanin. Uh, if, if you're in Adam, you're still going to be accountable for your sins before a holy God. If you're in Christ, you've been forgiven of those sins as a result of what, of what Christ has done and his finished work. You've, you've confessed sin, you've placed your faith in that finished work, and you will inherit and receive eternal life. It, it, it's just that clear. So yes, there, there is division that takes place, but unity also takes place in God. And that unity is based upon upon understanding, knowing God's word, his truth, and he unifies. I think Pastor Anthony said it well when he, when he pointed to uh, Ephesians chapter two, uh, where, where God himself, there was a dividing wall that God set up between Jew and Gentile. Uh, God breaks down that dividing wall through the finished work of Christ, making one new man, in the place of two. There's no there's no greater unity than you can have Jew and Gentile who were separated by God, who are now one new man in the place of two. And that unity is on the basis of, of, of truth, uh, the, the truth incarnate, right? The true and living God who is Jesus Christ. And so those are the kinds of things that I think w- would be helpful. Uh, some of the explanations are important. Uh, to take a look at and to think about, uh, but but again, I, I think one of the one of the things that I enjoy about what we do on this show, Jason, you do it time and time again, uh, is we put ourselves before uh, before a, a holy God to begin with. You know, scripture scripture is definitely uh, a, a window first, uh, or rather a mirror first. Uh, we examine our own hearts and lives and understand we're broken, fallen, sinful human beings. Uh, and then it's a window for us to examine the rest of the world. We've got to do those things in their proper order uh, so that we can proclaim the truth. And it won't be the truth based upon who I am or what I think or my opinion of right and wrong. That truth will be based upon the standard of what scripture has to say. Gentlemen, that was awesome. I want to plug Spencer's book, Spencer Smith, Doctrine Matters, Bible Topic Guidebook. Take 15 seconds 
and tell us what the book is about. Basically, all I did was take about 2,500 verses of the Bible and just align them categorically. What does the Bible say about depression? What does it say about anger? What does it say about whatever? And we just aligned that, did a lot of work, 2,500 plus Bible version, verses in there. And it's just a great reference tool for everybody. It's available on Amazon and you're welcome to get one. Appreciate you guys. Well, I got one for free. Yeah. And I could, you know, I could have <laughs> afforded this. Uh, yeah. I could have paid for this, but I'll take a free one. Everybody's getting... Uh, Virgil's gave me uh, uh, John MacArthur's Commentary Bible. Uh, Anthony provided me a concordance. T.J. Moe has given me a Living Commentary Bible from Andrew Womack. I, I got all, I got my Tony Evans sent me his uh, Commentary Bible. I got a lot of good reference material, oh, and this will add to my collection. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll play some harmony. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. How did we end up so divided? Stop fighting and stand tall. We used to be a nation, one united. Now we're headed for a downfall God let your light shine down What we need more than anything to me.